0: The book of James is an all about the basics, the as we would say, the, the fundamentals. anchor of the soul with the Mike ABCs Hickson, of preacher for the, the Olive Branch Church of Christ, Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Are facing Grounded, a lot of different things in this life. And love. if you live long enough, you come to understand and, and appreciate now, the fact Mike that there Hickson. are many things that come your way. And so what you have to do is be equipped so that you are ready to meet the battle, battles and obstacles that you face in this life. And so in James chapter 1, James provides us with a template, if you please, for some of the things that we face as Christians. And so I want to begin tonight by first and foremost talking about the trials of a Christian. Listen now to what James said in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials... The trials that James has under consideration here are wide ranging. They would encompass everything from illness, disease, the loss of a job, some type of economic reversal, some other tragedy that might come a person's way, the loss of a loved one, could be any number of things. And so James is saying, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And so to understand that as a child of God, trials will be present in life. None of us, none of us has the ability to escape the various trials that come our way on a daily basis. And you remember that old, well-worn passage in Job chapter 14 when Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. So troubles and trials are a part of the Christian life. So with that in mind, listen now to what James said. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying or testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance. What James is saying here is that there are natural byproducts to suffering. Now, he's talking about the trying, the testing of our faith. And you remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, writing to Christians who were suffering in the first century, the Roman Empire, was a godless empire. They put enormous pressure on those who belonged to the body of Christ. Many were being persecuted, some martyred for the cause of Christ. And so James in this context says that one of the byproducts of facing trials in life is that it helps us to develop a persevering or patient spirit. I want you to think for a minute or two about some of the trials or adversities, maybe obstacles that you have faced over the past year. I want to encourage you over the next few days, maybe the next few weeks, consider some of the things that you have battled personally in your own life over the course of this past year, or maybe over the course of the last two years. I would encourage you to sit down and make some notations of the things that you have learned firsthand from the trials you've experienced. There are some things that we learn, whether we really want to learn them or not. One of which, as James said, is we have to learn to become patient or persevering. Why? Because sometimes trials are protracted in nature. In other words, they last a long time, don't they? So in the book of Romans in chapter 5, Paul talked about how tribulation works, perseverance or patience. Perseverance or patience ultimately leads to character, character, hope. So again, all James is saying here is there are some byproducts to trials and suffering in life, as did the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5. That's the case he's making. So you think about the trials that you're facing. And as you look back over the course of the past year or two, and reminisce about some of the things that you have battled, maybe some of the things that you are now battling. Ask yourself this, what have I learned and has it helped me to draw closer to God? When we face trials in life, one of the things it ought to do is it ought to drive us to our knees to spend more time in prayer. You remember Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that men ought to always pray and not faint or grow weary. Sometimes the trials of life can be so cumbersome in nature, so weighty that people fall beneath them. And so to recognize that prayer is a great outlet for the trials of life. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed fervently to the the Father, didn't He? The text says, and being in agony, he prayed more fervently. So the more difficult the trial, the greater the prayer life. The more time we ought to spend in prayer. And then, what about your trust in God? The trials and tribulations that you have faced over the course of the last few months. Have they deepened your faith in Almighty God? Those trials or those difficulties ought to push you closer to Almighty God. Do you remember David in Psalm 55 when he said, cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. There are times in life when the trials are so heavy. The only one that will carry you, so to speak, is the Lord. He's the one who will get you through it. And so to learn to trust in Him, as Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart, Lean not unto your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. And then, as you face the trials of life, and as you make notations about some of the things that you've learned, I would encourage you to sift through the Scriptures, and go back to the Old Testament, and make your way forward throughout Scripture, and just make some notations of people that faced tough times. And maybe make some notations as to how they dealt with those circumstances in life. What was it that got them through or helped them to get over the edge? Those are some things that I believe will benefit us in the long run. Now, James said in connection with this, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Let me just pause there for a minute. Since contextually... This is linked to the trials of life. Somebody might say, well, why would wisdom be necessary in facing trials? Knowledge is the assembly or the assimilation of facts and information, data. Wisdom is knowing how to use the knowledge that we possess. So when we face trials and difficulties in life, It would only stand to reason that we would go to God and ask for wisdom so that He might help us or He might help us navigate our way through these difficulties. Again, you remember what Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. Sometimes the waters can get very choppy in life and there are things that come our way that Maybe we don't necessarily know how we're going to get through them. Well, pray to God and ask God for wisdom that He might help get you through these difficulties in life. Now, there's a second thing I want to share with you, and we don't don't have a lot of time, and so we're just making kind of a sweeping overview here. The second thing has to do with the temptations of a Christian, the temptations of a Christian. So listen now to what James says in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires or his own lust and enticed. Then when lust or desire has conceived, James said it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. That would be Spiritual death. And so in light of that, in verse 16, he said, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. As a child of God, whether we like it or not, as a Christian, we're going to face temptations in life, aren't we? Think about Jesus for a minute. The devil literally threw everything he had at the Son of God. And so if the devil did his very best, to undermine the redemptive work of God through Christ, then would you not suppose that He's going to come after us? That he's going to do everything within His power to destroy and undermine our faith in God. Now listen to what, James, rather listen to what Peter said. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary of the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now James said... But what the devil does is he baits. He sets a trap, doesn't he? He uses various lures. And those lures are appealing. If we take the bait, then we're taken captive by the devil. Think for a minute about your spiritual life and your relationship to God. We all know what our spiritual weaknesses are, don't we? We know our strengths and our weaknesses. So if we have identified or if we can identify our weaknesses in the flesh or in the Christian life, those points of vulnerability, if we can somehow identify those, then we can be equipped to do battle with the devil, can't we? Sometimes what happens is, we put ourselves in situations in situations that ultimately lead to compromising our principles, our morals. Let me give you an example. If you run with a rogue crowd, in other words, if you run with people that From a character or integrity standpoint, if they lack that, then will that not rub off on you? And people that have very little morality or integrity, typically the activities that they engage in are not wholesome by nature, are they? So if you associate with the wrong kind of people, what happens? It rubs off, doesn't it? Isn't that what Paul said? Be not deceived. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. Solomon said, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And he addressed his son there. So identify your weaknesses and then, to the best of your ability, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. As Paul said, we must wage the good warfare. We must endure hardship as a good soldier, of Jesus Christ. To Understand that the devil's going to come after us, and we've got to be equipped. We've got to put on our Christian armor, don't we? And be strong in the Lord, in the strength or power of His might. Why? That we might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, or the strategies of the devil. Listen, the devil is always strategizing. And he's looking for your weaknesses in life. What he wants to do is exploit those. And so James here is saying, as a Christian, to understand that temptation is not from God, the devil's a culprit, but to understand that what the devil's going to do, he's going to bait and trap. And once he baits and traps, then you become a prisoner. You become a servant of that way of life. There is a third thing I want to share with you. And that has to do with the thankfulness of a Christian. The trials of a Christian, the temptations of a Christian, and the thankfulness of a Christian. Now listen to what James says in verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. How often have you thought in your own life about the goodness of God? About how how good God has been to you personally? Haven't we all been the benefactors of the graciousness and the kindness of Almighty God? The psalmist said, Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, would say, in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Sadly, there are many people in our world today who lack gratitude. They don't have an attitude of gratitude toward God. And so as a Christian, as a child of God, we ought to be eternally grateful for all the many blessings that He lavishes upon us. Many of us, we have been blessed physically and mentally, haven't we? God has blessed us immeasurably with good health. And then add to that the material blessings that we enjoy. You look around in the world today and you think about some of the third world countries. The plight of those people. I think I mentioned sometime back in Jamaica... The average annual income is about $5,000. Can you imagine the poverty of some of those people? And listen, they don't have a government welfare system down there. If you want to eat, then you better go to work. And if you can't work, you better be finding a way so that you can eat somehow, some way. We are immeasurably blessed in this country. And many times we fail to acknowledge that to Almighty God. So James is talking about every good gift and every perfect gift ultimately comes from the same source, doesn't it? That's Almighty God. And then what about our spiritual blessings? The spiritual blessings that we enjoy in Christ Jesus? When the Apostle Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, Sadly, many of those folks were living as if they were in spiritual poverty. And what Paul tried to tell them was, look, as a member of the body of Christ, you have been been blessed by every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Matter of fact, over in chapter 2, he talks about the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness. There's the idea of our riches in Christ. When's the last time you gave God thanks for the forgiveness of your sins? When's the last time that you gave God thanks for the person that shared the gospel with you so that you're a New Testament Christian today? When's the last time that you gave thanks to God for the peace that you enjoy in your life? When's the last time you thank God for the hope of heaven that lies before all of us? These are some things that as Christians, we ought to give God thanks for, and we ought to do it daily, shouldn't we? There is another thought that I want to share with you tonight. It has to do with the truthfulness of a Christian. Now, I want you to pick up with me. Note, if you would, verse 22. In verse 22, and really, this is the thrust of the book of James. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does." So what about the truthfulness of a Christian? Here's what I mean. When you step in front of the mirror of God's word and take inventory of your spiritual life, are you honest with what you see? You know there are a lot of people that quite frankly are are leading A deceived life. Why? Because they have not looked into the mirror of God's Word and noticed the things that are amiss in their life and made the necessary corrections. And what James is saying is that when we look into the law of liberty, when we stoop and examine that law that is the Word of God, and we do so carefully, And we give time and consideration to what we read and what we study and what we meditate upon. It ought to bring about whatever necessary changes are forthcoming. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer said, You remember the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. He went on to say that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What James, or rather what the Hebrew writer is saying in that context is that the word of God critiques how we live. those who are taking part in last leaders, as they work with the young people, whether they're preparing them to present a lesson or lead singing or whatever. during that process, they critique one another, don't they? And so if there are some changes that need to be made, well, they make those changes. So when you look into God's Word, what do you see? When you stand in front of your mirror in your bathroom, you have, you have an adequate representation of what you look like, don't you? You see the real you, unless the lights are out. But I mean, you, you see what you look like. By the same token when you stand in front of the mirror of God's Word, you ought to be able to see what you look like in the eyes of God. Remember this morning we talked about Psalm 139? When David said, Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows exactly where we are in life. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation in the garden, do you remember God said, Adam, where are you? God wasn't asking Adam for information about his whereabouts. No, God was asking Adam, where are you? Because He wanted Adam to realize his plight at that point in time in life. So when you step in front of that mirror, what do you see? Are you willing to make the necessary changes? If you have a problem with certain things in your life, whether it be Anger, profanity, or some other type of problem? Are you willing to make the necessary corrections in your life? Let me just throw this final thought in, since we're talking about the truthfulness of a Christian. What about the test of a Christian? Because when we stand in front of the Word of God, we find out whether or not what we claim to be is genuine or not. So drop down, look at verses 26 and 27. James said, If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless or vain, empty. Let me tell you where a lot of us get ourselves in trouble in life as Christians with the tongue, isn't it? How often do we speak before we think about what we're saying? And once those words are spoken, they're out there, aren't they? In James chapter 3, James talks about the tongue. And really, in chapters 1 and 3, emphasis is on bridling the tongue. It's a little member, he said, it boasts great things. If we don't keep our tongue in check, then we have a real problem spiritually. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, Paul is writing to people that have put off the old man and put on the new man. And he would say, that they, or he would tell them explicitly that they were not to lie anymore but rather they were to speak the truth with one another. Do people in the body of Christ sometimes have a problem telling the truth? Yes. Are there people that come out of the world and they have had a problem being truthful in their relations to other people? Yes. But when you come out of the world, you can't, take, you can't bring the world with you into the Christian life. You've got to put it off. And so it might be that some folks have to work harder at bridling the tongue. Some people have, a tr- have trouble with lying. Some people have trouble with profanity. Paul would say, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. If you stand before the mirror of God's Word, and you have trouble telling the truth or gossiping or you use profanity, and you don't try to make the necessary corrections, then you fail the test, don't you? As a Christian, James said, if anyone thinks he's religious but does not bridle his tongue, he said, this one's religion is useless. Learning to put a governor on the tongue. Sometimes in the world, people who drive for trucking companies, they'll drive for a company and they put a governor on the engine because they don't want them to exceed the speed limit. Well, sometimes we need a governor on the mouth, on the tongue. And then note this in verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Those of you who contributed to Pinevale, you did so so that you might fulfill the will of Almighty God. You say, well, in what way? Well, you're rendering aid to those who are orphaned, those who don't have a mother or father, those who don't have biological parents. So you're doing a great service. And here James said that we're not only to render aid to those who are orphaned, but also widows. Are there widows who don't have family members? They don't have someone helping them and caring for them. Well, in the first century they did. And you you can read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, there was some criterion that had to be met. And if they met that criterion, the church would step in and help them. But if they had family members that could help, then they needed to help them. By the same token, James is saying, as a child of God, genuine religion is benevolent. As Paul would say, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. And then he said that we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. When you stand in front of the mirror, do you see the world in your life? Do you see somebody that acts like the world, dresses like the world, talks like the world, lives like the world? If that's what you see when you step in front of the mirror, are you truthful? Are you trying to purge the world from your life? James said, we're not to be spotted by the world. And let me tell you what, it doesn't take long to identify somebody who is a member of the body of Christ who is in the world, does it? You can tell it. Just listen to them. Just watch how they behave. See how devoted they are to the cause of Christ. Those are some earmarks that will help. There's a final thought. The triumph of a Christian. Look again, James chapter 1. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been proved, you remember Peter talked about the trying of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tried by fire. Our faith will literally be tried by fire in many respects. And what James is saying is blessings reside on those whose faith is tried but overcome. So here it is. Blessed is a man who endures temptation. When he has been proved, he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James is saying that To those of us who are trying to live the Christian life, who are trying to do our best day in and day out, are we perfect? Absolutely not. But we're making an effort. We're doing our best day in, day out. He's saying, when we overcome those obstacles of life, the trials, the temptations of life, when we stand in the face of trial and temptation, then ultimately we have the hope of that crown of life. The Stephanos, the victor's crown. One day you're going to stand before God prayerfully, when you stand before God, He will not only own you, but He'll crown you. You'll receive that victor's crown. As we think about the basics of Christianity, your life as a child of God, your life as a Christian, where do you stack up in light of what James said?